It's an ancient and unbelievably dangerous vocation, beckoning workers to the undiscovered depths of our world. But in their digging, do they ever unearth things they can't explain? Today, we're sharing stories about miners and the darkness below. Welcome to Shadowland, everybody. Welcome. This is a podcast that shines a spotlight on stories of the supernatural, mysterious, eerie, and unexplained. Stuff like the dark side of the moon. Powers of the mind. Troll sightings. Synchronicity. Zombies. Mars anomalies. Bat squatch. Remote seeing. What? (laughs) (laughs) Bat squatch. Sheep squatch. Bubble car driving gnomes. Interdimensional portals. Hollow Earth. Out-of-body experiences. Ancient races of aliens. Doppelgangers. Magic. All that stuff. All that stuff and more. Lots more. I'm Christina Callery. And I'm Seth Jablon. And today, we're doing stories about... Miners. Miners. Miners in the paranormal. Miners in the paranormal. Uh, All of their mysterious, creepy lore. I got to do a deep dive into this, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's not, it's something that I've never really thought about. You think of miners and you just think of like hard ass work and just, you know, and I know like, I mean, I've been to the, what is it? The salt mines or whatever. And outside of Krakow and, you know, seeing them build, like build like cities and stuff down there. But I never really thought about them having like, I don't know, paranormal experiences, but it does seem like a creepy place when you think about it, right? Like deep, yeah, well, deep it's under like the earth. What's under the, I mean, that's like more undiscovered, more undiscovered than, uh, you know, I think space in a lot of ways. And right, we talked right. before about the hollow earth theory and diving yep. into that, which I think is, is something that's coming in the future. But, um, I actually, in my research, I came across a lot of really interesting and creepy stories from miners. And um, I grew up around iron mines, iron ore mines in the UP. Oh, really? There's iron ore mines up there? Yeah, there are. And so I was always fascinated by it, by the whole process of mining and going underground and what people encounter there. Um, but before we get started, I do have a little bit of news. Oh, right. We right, have a second? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So this is in the New York Times today. And they have captured the second ever image of a black hole. And it is the black oh. hole in the center of our Milky Way galaxy. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, right, so this is breaking news. I haven't seen, have breaking you seen the news. image. Breaking news. And I wanted to read this because this the writer, Dennis Overby, describes it so poetically. So I'm just going to read you the first part of the story. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Astronomers announced today that they had pierced the veil of darkness and dust at the center of our Milky Way galaxy to capture the first picture of the gentle giant dwelling there, a supermassive black hole a trapdoor in space-time through which the equivalent of four million suns have been dispatched to eternity, leaving behind only their gravity and a violently bent space-time. The image, released in six simultaneous news conferences in Washington, D.C. and around the globe, showed a lumpy donut of radio emission framing an empty space as dark and silent as death itself. Wow. So cool. Yeah, I looked up the image here while you were reading that, and it's it's beautiful. I it mean, does like, look like a lumpy donut, but in a beautiful, like, awe-inspiring way. Yeah, and like, you know, in context, it feels like something so important, right? Like, there's something about it, like, thinking about this at the center of our galaxy, that's wild, right? Like, I don't know, is this some type of, like, intelligence <laughs> you know i mean like what's there like, what is that you know i mean it's like the the, the central mystery because it's glowing around the darkness which i didn't expect i thought it was just i thought black holes were just like black but around it is light 
Well, I, I believe that as the light, like light is uh, emitted by it because of all of the energy surrounding it as things get sucked in. Wow. So cool. Yeah. Anyway. So are you ready well, for we'll some? We'll post this somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We should totally post this, uh, this image on yeah. our site. So you're ready for some minor stories. I am. I'm all okay. kinds of ready. And I've got kind of a buffet of different kinds of experiences people have had. So this first one was reported in on July 14th of 1974 um, in a paper called News Extra. And the story states that in 1944... So quite a bit earlier, a mine inspector named Glenn E. Barger was called to investigate the site of a horrific tragedy. Near the town of Dixonville, Pennsylvania, a mine had collapsed, and 15 miners were now missing and presumed dead. So Barger, accompanied by his partner Ted Walters, arrived at the site shortly following the collapse so he was there just in time, not only to be, to be able to investigate it and discover the cause of the disaster, but he actually helped locate the bodies of the missing men. So Barger and Walters descended into the mine and began their investigation. And they did find the missing bodies. But when they came across the first corpse, something seemed very, very wrong. Barger said that the man's body didn't have the typical injuries you'd expect, you know, being struck by falling rocks or crushed by debris, but instead it looked like it had been attacked by some kind of savage beast. And even more striking was the fact that part of the body was missing as if it had been devoured. So it was nowhere in the vicinity. As more bodies of the missing miners were discovered, they also showed the same kinds of strange injuries. And at this point, the report says that Barger and his partner had some difficulty returning to the surface. Um, I don't, I don't know what happened, but sounds terrifying. But while they were waiting for assistance, Barger fell asleep from fatigue. He'd been working, you know, doing this incredibly taxing and disturbing job um and so um i'm not sure i'd be able to do that <laughs> kudos yeah, <really>. to him <laughs> but a while later he was awakened by the sensation that someone else was near him and it wasn't his partner walters it was someone or something else he said quote i fell asleep for a while not for long, maybe only for a few minutes. I woke up from the fact that someone was breathing hotly in my face. Uh-oh. This creature was not of this world. Then, when the creature was gone, my partner and I sat and thought about what would happen to us here. I swear at any moment I was waiting for this terrible creature to drag both of us away. And later... He suggested that the crash was specifically caused by these creatures in order to lure miners into the trap. And after this incident, the mine was covered over and with it, whatever creature possibly attacked the miners. But what's interesting to this about the story to me is this guy, this was his job, right? To go mm -hmm. in, right, investigate right. mines. He'd done it so many times. He knew what to expect, what, what he would see, what kind of injuries he would encounter if there had been a collapse. He was trained in all of this. And for him to come out with a story this incredible and, and terrifying, yeah, it's, it's very unusual. Yeah, and I mean, there's a couple of things that like stand out to me about it. Like number one, you know, n not, be, not being there. Well, how, how far down was it? Uh, I don't know. Pretty far down, but whatever. pretty far enough down that they needed a they needed a rescue crew rescue, to be able to right. get out when they were having trouble returning to the surface. Right. So, like you know, I mean, you know, 
there's nothing about it except for the fact that they're so far down there that doesn't sound like an animal, right? Like, and yet this this guy feels like this thing's otherworldly, right? So just that sensation, there's something interesting about that, right? Yeah, like, he immediately jumped to that conclusion. Right, which meant he felt something, right? Like, and again, not being there, you don't know. I mean, I imagine any, like, feeling like any anything down there might, you know, uh, uh, freak you out. But then at the same time, they're like, it is otherworldly, right? It is another world. It is a different world. It is a different world. Sure. Like much like the, you know, bottom of the ocean would be a different world. So just that alone makes it otherworldly. But yeah, the idea that, you know, something, um, something was down there that lived down there. That's what's like freaky. Right, not the idea that an animal could make its way down there and then attack. I don't know. That that's all the stuff that sort of popped out to me. Like, are there an, like are there like predators of that level that live down there? And if so, like how, how can they? Right. But anyways, yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's what makes it so compelling. Creepers. And, yeah. yeah. And creepy. So this next one, I've got, I've got, um, I've got more. This next one is the story of the Garson invaders, and uh, I've done, I've taken a lot of this from the site Cryptopia, but it's reported on elsewhere. You can look it up. So this story supposedly comes from a partially redacted letter that was in the Project Blue Book files. Oh, it's very official, okay. mm-hmm. and it was for, first reported by ABC radio host and minister from Buffalo, New York. His name was Elder Charles Beck along with a reporter who accompanied him to the interview who worked for the Sudbury Daily Star. And his name was Michael Bolton. I love it. <laughs> Obviously not that Michael Bolton. And both of them what interviewed this eyewitness. So here's the story. On July 2nd, 1954, at about 5 p.m., an Italian-born man named Ennio Lasarza who worked as a miner in a nickel mine in the town of Garson, Ontario, was performing his usual duties when he, quote, noted with surprise an object hurtling down from the skies with several times the speed of a jet plane. So at this point, he thought it would crash, but it slowed down and hovered just above the ground while he watched. The saucer, Ennio said, was spherical in shape, about 25 feet in diameter, and had a set of portholes, or the equivalent, whatever they were, they looked like windows, around it. There were, quote, rudiments of a landing gear and something like a retractable antenna on top. While La Sarza watched, he was paralyzed by fear at this point, which you would be, I mean, understandable. Yeah. But it gets worse. <laughs> Three... Strange beings emerged from the craft, and this is a quote, they were about 13 feet tall, greenish blue in color, and their faces were a color combination he had never seen before. Oh my gosh, I love everything about this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 13 feet tall? Okay. So it it goes on. Their bodies seemed to glow. And they had a single eye in the center of what passed for a forehead. The beings had six evenly distributed sets of arms and or hairy legs. The, quote, hands were equipped with claws, which opened and closed spasmodically. Oof. They also were equipped with a natural twin antenna in the head, unquote. So in some accounts, these antenna are also described as ears, which kind of look like spurs. And the creatures were said to be insect-like, which obviously yes. you've already yeah. guessed. <laughs> yeah. So as Lasarza stood there, probably peeing himself like I would be doing, <laughs> yeah. one of the beings started to come toward him. And he turned and ran away. Smart. Um, however, at this point, the being sent a sort of hypnotic stare that froze him in his tracks and started speaking to him in a voice that seemed to address him inside of his head. So 
all of this is already like things are, are pretty bad for poor Ennio. Like one minute he's minding his own business. He's mining for nickel, probably thinking about what he's going to eat for dinner. And then next he's being frozen by 13 foot hairy legged spiders from space. Um, so, but it gets worse. This head insect creature who's communicating with him telepathically suggests something apparently so horrible that Lasarza can't bear to repeat it. Hmm. So he doesn't he he won't reveal in the interview what it is that this creature has said. But quote, the being sternly requested or ordered Ennio to perform some task, the nature of wit of which he has stoutly refused to divulge, even to officialdom. He was emphatic that he would, quote, rather die than do what they asked him to do, unquote. So I just huh. have to ask, is it horrible that I'm reminded of that meatloaf song right now? <laughs> <laughs> I would do anything for insect Harry, aliens. But yeah, I won't giant hairy like <laughs> space monsters, <laughs> but I won't do that. But I mean, you have to wonder, like, what what did they ask? And that's like the enduring mystery of the story, which yeah, we can yeah. talk about later or we can totally. talk about it now. Um, well, can we talk about these aliens just for a second? Yeah, yeah, like, let's let's do that. Okay. Well, I mean, I think I think insect aliens are definitely my favorite type of aliens. Yeah. Right, like specifically like the like praying mantis ones. Oh, man. I mean, I, just something about it like is I don't know intrigues me, but just like the description of these things is is crazy and like multicolored faces that. And they're glowing. One eye and like all one of the eye, legs and, the antenna, and hairy. 13 feet tall. I mean, that right yeah. there is like pretty, you know, yeah. shocking. Um, but like, okay. But the fact that, you know, if these things wanted to harm him, they would have. Right. So I understand that they said something troubling to him for sure. Uh, but at the same time, these are like giant beings that just are physically could physically like probably hurt this person right right and they're able to stop them by staring <laughs> right and they're able to telepathically make their way into his mind like you know despite the fact that it's they say this troubling thing to him they're clearly not trying to hurt him well, right? what do you think that okay so what's your opinion what do you think i'm kind of thinking they wanted to be more than space friends I don't know. Maybe but, they were just but, trying to see how he reacted. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they were trying to like <laughs> stir him up or something. I don't know. Like, it's it's weird. But like, or or asked him to do something, commit some kind of violence. Maybe. maybe. But why wouldn't I mean, he repeat it? I don't know. I mean, it's like, I don't know. I mean, Jung has that that famous story in his um, uh, memories, dreams, reflections, right? His memoirs about him feeling like God put this like troubling thought in his brain and it was like sort of to him it was blasphemous mm, mm -hmm. and he couldn't think it he couldn't express it and mm -hmm. it was almost like a kind of like the image of it ended up being kind of almost like funny but it was like so upsetting to him that he couldn't let it out he couldn't allow, allow his mind to wow. express it and when he finally did it like it like opened him up right oh, like psychologically it opened him up because he was willing to sort of go there right oh that's interesting and the image have... was what's that oh i was just gonna say i can kind of relate a little bit you know having oh, been yeah? raised in a religious environment yeah yeah where i or i used to like have almost like ocd trying to repress certain thoughts that i didn't yeah. welcome but it's kind of right. like what happens if you open yourself up is it trying right. to get you past some kind of hurdle right yeah, like he and he did. He was um, he was raised in uh, there was some I can't remember. It's been a while since I've read it, but he was raised uh, raised in some religious context. He was very religious when he was uh, younger, exposed to pious religion. But the image that was sort of he believed placed in his mind was that of this giant turd falling from the sky and crushing a church <laughs> that was the image that, <laughs> that he was couldn't, right it's it's like funny and he said after he was able to sort of like express it it was like hilarious to him and like strange that he would sort of 
repress this thing, but that was the image that he couldn't bear. And he said once he let it out, it opened him up totally psychologically, and he felt like it was actually a message from him for for him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right about his own psychology. Which could be, yeah. I mean, it's so. Anyways, I don't know. Like, I mean, I have no sure. details about this. You know, this um, you know what they put in his mind. Obviously, it upset him, but at it, the same yeah, time, it's so, like so much. Like he never yeah. revealed it, right? Um, and the story keeps going. Oh, it does. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought that was it. Okay, okay. No, right. no. So they apparently, at this point, they fixed him with what he described um, as being a hypnotic stare until right. he fainted. Okay. And then whatever happened next remains a mystery. But implant. he, he, well, yeah, <laughs> probing <laughs> implant, something, something. Um, yeah, but. Lasarza eventually came to and he reported what had happened to the police. And I mean, can you imagine going to the cops and telling them this? Right. And the the Royal Canadian Air Force, who apparently did an investigation and then they forwarded a copy of their report to the United States Air Force Project Blue Book and to London's Air Ministry. But I believe that last one may have been lost somehow. Um, or just maybe people are just like, yeah, we're not even going to touch this one. Yeah. Um, but not surprisingly, the, the report indicates that all of this really messed with his psyche. So, quote, he became subsequently so terrified over what they had asked and ordered him to do and the possible consequences of either complying or refusal that he has seriously considered the authorities to lock him up in jail as a safety measure, unquote. Oh so gosh. basically, he was so terrified, he was like, take me to jail. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So this is very disturbing, whatever whatever they said to him. Definitely worse than taking a dookie on a church. Pretty, yeah, yeah, you would think so. <laughs> yeah. So after the event, Ennio was interviewed, and some sources misquoted him as saying the creatures were from Mars, but in this report it states clearly that he made it clear he could neither know nor guess where they came from. And not surprisingly, his sanity was doubted, to the point where several psychiatrists from Toronto came to talk to him about his experience and interview him and you know see if he was sane. And Lasarza told Beck and Bolton that, quote, he may be regarded by some as crazy, but he would not and could not retract his story one iota because he was so disturbed by what these beings had asked him to do. And again, like, what was it? Like, what would be so horrible that you you're willing to be thought of by everyone as crazy? And, you know, risk your reputation at work and in the eyes of the world. And and yet he still wouldn't tell anybody what what this was all about. I don't know. So um, his co-workers, the mining officials, as I hinted at, also not very surprising, but they wanted to distance themselves from it. They didn't seem to want to have anything to do with the story. And they apparently wouldn't allow an investigation of the landing site. And it also sounds like Lasarza may have had a run-in with the men in black. So uh, Elder Beckon, um, Michael Bolton, interviewed Lasarza on July 9th, 1954, which was only a week after his experience, so it was still fresh. And they had a tape recorder in the interview and recorded the interview, but right after... Ennio, quote, became so disturbed about how the recording might be in violation of certain promises he had had to make to the authorities, unquote, that he begged them to erase it. And so they complied and they erased it. Um, So there's some speculation about why they would choose La Sarza in this particular mine, and it has to do with nickel and its relationship to the cobalt bomb. Um, But... Nobody knows, really, and uh, I just want to know what they asked him. Yeah, same. So was he? He was. Was he inside the mine, or he was like at the mouth of it, or something? Like, he... yeah, I, th- I believe he was outside because he saw it come I out see. of the sky. Okay. So he was working in, you know, at the mine, and mm-hmm. uh, and they came down on the site. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I thought you would like that one. Yeah. 
but I've got more. All right, let's do it. Okay, so this next one. Um, in 1912, two miners were at work in the Aqua Izana galleries, which are located on the volcanic island of Tenerife. They were using their picks to search for seams of diamond rock. And as they were digging, they began to notice that the rock was starting to give way a lot easier. So they kept digging, and they eventually revealed a three-by-three-meter entrance into a hidden chamber. Yes. Yes, underground, which they entered and explored. And it looked to the miners that this area had been worked in the past, but it was incredibly dark, and they couldn't see where the passage led or how far, but the, there was definitely a passage that went somewhere. And one thing they noticed uh, was that the walls were smooth like glass, and it they had no cracks or rockiness. Um, it, so it was just almost as though it had been, you know, smoothed out by someone. Um, and they began exploring, and they followed the tunnel, and it sort of veered off to the left. And as they followed it, they saw a light that seemed to be coming from the wall. So at first, they thought this might be just a natural phenomenon. Fluorescence can happen, you know, from gases or whatnot in caves. Um, so they continued to follow it. And they traveled another like 500 meters further into the passage, but then they were stunned to see that the lights were not just, you know, some kind of natural phenomena, but it was coming from three glowing humanoid beings that were walking towards them. Oh so <laughs> you're loving this one too. Yeah. They had a human-like shape, but they were clearly not human and they seemed to levitate about like a foot off the ground as they moved and the miners were so terrified they abandoned their picks they dropped everything they ran out of the cave as fast as they could and uh, they immediately went to the nearest civil guard station which is about four kilometers away and reported what had happened so the officers agreed to accompany them back to the cave but you can guess what happened they returned. They couldn't find any hidden chamber. Yeah. There were no beings of light. There was nothing to suggest that these miners were telling the truth. And that was the end of that story. Wow. Yeah. In, in other news, they, didn't they? Um, didn't they recently uncover some type of uh, Native American like metropolis? that they had thought was like some had they were unsure if it was a myth or not but it was like some um substantial i think probably the the largest native american city that they had thought may have existed and they just found it recently really uh, like out west somewhere yeah yeah like where they had millions of people millions of um inhabitants and they had never known whether it was like myth or true or not or but they they found it uh, underground right and so like wow yeah and that was just recently and it was like and so you think about like and what would they they found that what was the this in turkey right like the the city they, they didn't find that that long ago either right, right? That, was, that was we like, covered that in the past episode right right, believe, right. Yeah. and so you just think about like and those aren't even that crazy of examples but they are pretty compelling when you think that you know, there's this city in Turkey that people just lived under the ground. There's thousands and thousands of people living there, and we just found out about it, <laughs> right. right? Like, and I think the Native American one may have been buried. I'm not sure if it was like built to be underground. I, I don't know, but but just that, like, this idea that like there's so much buried on this planet that we have no idea about, right? Like, even when we do have an idea about it, we still can't find it. Right. And, right. and, and we haven't so, even been able to drill down that far. Yeah. And so the idea that there would be mysteries down there, like, certainly seems logical, right? Like, mm -hmm. it certainly seems like there are mysteries down there. The question is really, like, what are those mysteries? Right. <laughs> right? Like, so, um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely in the camp that, like, some of those mysteries are glowing 
beings hanging out in, <laughs> you know, caves. Yeah. But who knows? Uh, okay. Well, I got yeah. another one for you. I'm sure you do. Okay. <laughs> so you've covered Point Pleasant and you've been there. And yes. we talked about the Mothman. Yeah. But did you know that something similar has been cited in Germany? I did know that, but yes, okay. go ahead. I don't know too much about it, but okay. Pre- okay. previous in previous centuries, right, or something like that. Um, well, this one is it, it actually took place on the morning of September tenth, nineteen seventy eight. So not too long oh, ago. Oh, okay. So yeah. After wait, before what, when was Point Pleasant? I can't remember the date. It was around then. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It was in seventies or something. I can't remember. Okay. Um, so near the city of Freeburg, which is on the western edge of the Black Forest, which we've also talked about in our Haunted Forest mm-hmm. episode. Um, so early in the morning, miners were heading to their work site in a nearby coal mine, which was located in the Black Forest Mountains. And as they drew near to the mine entrance, they saw what looked like a man wearing a dark trench coat standing in front of it. Which is obviously strange. So this struck them as odd of course but as they got within a few feet of him what they assumed was a trench coat suddenly unfurled and was actually revealed to be a pair of large dark wings attached to a big creature so as the miners stood there they were frozen in shock this thing let out a series of incredibly loud ear-piercing shrieks that were later compared to the sound of a train's emergency brakes or the screams Jeez. of 50 men. So this really loud, high-pitched, you know, painful sound. Yeah. And so at this, they did the smart thing and they fled the scene. And when they yes. got a safe distance away, they looked back and they saw that the figure had just folded its wings back around its body and it looked like it it had when they first approached it. And it was still, and it, but it wouldn't leave the entrance of the mine. So, you know, because this foreboding creature's hanging around, they couldn't enter the mine, they couldn't do their work. So they decided instead they'd do some cleanup, like around the yard, like on the grounds, while they waited for it to finally leave. And a little while later, though, at around 8 a.m. in the morning, there was this enormous earth-shaking explosion in the direction of the mine. So... They ran to the entrance, and they could see that smoke and flames were billowing out from inside, and the strange creature was nowhere in sight. So it's kind of a reverse Mothman because it not only heralded doom, but it seemed to prevent it because a later investigation was done and determined that if the miners, and there were 36 of them, would have been at work inside, they all would have perished, and none of them did. It like scared them out. You're it saying? scared them. Yeah, yeah. It kept them from you know entering oh, the mine, and yeah. and then a disaster followed shortly after. Wow. Well, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk about the Mothman being, um, you know, why it was there, and like so. I, I looked it up the Silverbridge collapse was 1967. So okay. So there's a lot of like talk about it being, um, you know, around before disasters. Right. right, or it's almost there to like as is, as if it's drawn to the disaster, or it's there to watch the disaster, and then there's, you know, some that believe that's connected to the disaster, and some that believe that it's, so you know, this is interesting. So it does actually follow with the Mothman sort of motif that like it would be there before a potential disaster. I don't know whether you know. It's sort of open to interpretation. Inter- really. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, is this a bad omen? Is it neutral? Right, right. right. Is it trying to help? Is it yeah. just, you know, just irresistibly drawn whatever, to... Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. So next we've got... I had to do... I had to do a lizard, a lizard creature. Yes. Okay, so this one is the Aus- Austrian cave lizard. Um, so this story doesn't come from a miner, but it took place in a salt mine, so I included it, and it was submitted to and published on the Phantoms and Monster site. And uh, it came from a person who only uh, um, went by the name Gregor, so that was the only name that they gave. And I'll just quote it. Recently, I came across your story about the man who had an encounter with an alien type of creature in a cave in the United States. 
The story is similar to my encounter in an obscure cave here in Upper Austria. This area is known for salt mining, the salt mines of the former Habsburg Empire. I am a trained and certified geologist. I have explored and documented cave systems throughout Austria, Czech Republic, and Poland since 1988. So they're an expert. In May of 2011, I was in a narrow cave that a colleague had recently found. This was approximately two kilometers north of Obertron on the opposite side of the descending mountain range in the foothills near the east bank of Halsadar Sea. As I moved through the difficult passageway, I started to hear voices emanating from the darkness ahead of me. I stopped to collect a few samples from the cave wall, chipping it with my pick. I moved deeper, maybe 50 meters, until I noticed the voices again. I am familiar with echoes and Doppler effect, sounds in caves, but this was totally different. I stood quietly for several minutes until the voices stopped. Again, I moved through the cave, almost crawling at this point. After another 40 meters, I ascended into a chamber that was big enough to accommodate several people. There were two wide openings on the opposite side of the chamber. Each looked like it had been excavated by machine. There was also an obvious rotting odor. As I examined the chamber, I noticed an odd red iridescence as I passed the light over the rock floor. When I knelt down to collect a sample, I again heard voices coming from one of the passageways. At this point, I was terrified and started to hurry back through the narrow cave. As I squeezed back several meters, I was able to turn my head just enough to look back into the dark chamber. A yellow light slowly made its way into the chamber from the left opening. There were several yellow lights following the first. As the lights moved through the opening into the chamber, then back through the, the opening on the right, I was able to see the beings. The sight sent fear throughout my body. I was actually paralyzed. The creatures were humanoid in stature, but these were not human. Each varied in height, but all looked the same. Muscular lizards that yes. walked upright <laughs> like humans. There is not a better term I can use to identify these beings. These creatures wore dark-colored, full-body uniforms that extended and covered the feet. I couldn't tell the exact color of the skin, but each had a pronounced muzzle. The long tails were very prominent and swiftly swayed back and forth as they moved forward. The arms and legs were massive. I could detect the musculature through the uniforms. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> there were voices also as if they were talking to each other the voices actually sounded human though i could not detect the language there were possibly 20 or more of these creatures as they walked Whoa. single file through the chamber and into the other opening when i conceived it was safe to move i quickly withdrew from the cave I think I may have been in shock because I barely remember anything that happened from that point until I reached my office. I decided to keep a private journal regarding my encounter, but I have not discussed it with anyone else. At this point in time, I'm starting to doubt that I witnessed these creatures. Is it possible that I hallucinated this encounter or possibly experienced something from the past or the future? I am a trained professional who deals with reality, but my beliefs have been seriously shaken thank you gregor wow say so, there you go i love it muscle-bound lizard <laughs> yeah people. yeah yeah i mean i love the idea that they're like in these like work uniforms or something that I they're know. like down there like working like that's even like weirder right like what are they working on and what well, are they doing and just like they're wearing clothes and i know we've talked about this before but i think we need to do an episode on paranormal fashion with all of these creatures and what they wear and how they all have different uh different styles that yeah, they're right, right, right. <laughs> also i like the i like that he thought well you know is what i saw of the present right? right and i think there's something interesting about that like you know we've talked about the sort of uh 
time tears slips or sims yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, seams in the you know sort of Space-time. dimensional world and like you know we talked about the the guys who were remote trying to remote see in mars and they were like looking back i think through time or something right to these ancient beings that have been there for a very long time and were sort of dying out and and just this idea that like we don't really know the history of the earth that well and we don't really know the future of it that well right like mm-hmm. those images i sent you those the, the other day the ones of like the what they think mars looked like you know it had water all over it right? like we have no idea what the past was there right like we have so little really we know so little we know so about little about our, our own world planet. and about uh, the universe yeah really yeah. Just, so just scratch the surface barely right so like you know there's a lot of people that believe a lot of these encounters are somehow interdimensional or somehow we're like seeing through the you know the the, the thin veil of you know reality right and so i don't know it's really interesting i mean i love the idea that there's and also i'm like creeped out by the idea that there's like lizard workers ripped uh, <laughs> <laughs> i just love how this guy was like really taking with how ripped they were i know yeah i mean like, he went I, out I don't about know, that. It's, like, it's such a weird thing to sort of stand out like wow those you know like well, i guess lizard i gotta lift a lot of really rocks ripped. and stuff you know, <laughs> you like, know like you'd think other things would stand out but who knows like you know mm-hmm. i don't know um i wonder how so. much they can bench press yeah totally um Okay, so I would be completely remiss if I didn't go into this subject. Okay. So this is, um, I've got some stories about Tommyknockers. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Okay. So it goes without saying, mining is an extremely dangerous profession. So it's rife with threats of collapse, accidents in the darkness, noxious gases trapped in underground chambers, not to mention, you know, I think what you mentioned earlier, which is just the the backbreaking physical demands required to do the job. It's a hard job. And given the danger, it's not surprising that the mining profession has its share of superstitions. So I'll just start out with a few. Um, if, you know, in olden times, like a miner's clothes slipped off the hook in the changing room, it supposedly meant he was going to fall into a hole. If his lantern was burning dim, it could mean that his wife was out with another guy. Okay. Um, and my personal favorite, that it's bad luck for a woman to enter a mind, especially if she has red hair. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, boo. Stay out of the mines. Stay out of the mines. Okay. But there are some who believe an additional threat may lurk in the dark depths in the form of small creatures known as Tommyknockers. So they were first reported in the United States by Welsh and Cornish miners who immigrated to work in Pennsylvania coal mines in the 1820s. And then they were later recruited during the California gold rush. But they brought their superstitions and their beliefs with them. And maybe actually the creatures, because it was sometimes said that the Tommyknockers were stowaways and they had hitched a ride to the U.S. in the workers' luggage. So these workers held a belief in, you know, these beings who lived under the earth that they would encounter in the mines, and they described them as being gnome-like, so about two feet tall, but skinny. Oh. I kind of think of gnomes as kind of having a little... A little Extra. A little stout, right? Yeah, a little stout. Um, but these creatures were skinny and they're greenish in color. They had big heads for their bodies, white beards, wrinkled faces, and arms that are kind of long for their frames. And they were also sometimes described as having glowing red eyes. So they were basically kind of like Irish leprechauns in minds. Yeah. As opposed to Italian leprechauns? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, leprechauns. Yeah. So, but they were also described as tricksters, like leprechauns, uh, prone to thievery, stealing tools, mischievous. You know, maybe they take your lunch and eat it, trip you. 
um, they were capable of both good and bad deeds. I'm reminded of like our Gremlins episode. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. The right? They sound very Gremlin-like, but like instead of in planes under the ground. Right, right. Yeah. So sometimes they'd play practical jokes on the miners, extinguish their lanterns. Um, and it's to the point where the miners kind of thought, okay, if you leave cake out for them, they'll leave you alone. So it's always a good practice to do, or maybe a bite of their pasties, which if you're not from the UP like I am, they're like these delicious pies with veggies and meat in them. And miners used to take the pasties down into the mines to eat them because it was they were portable. It's just like a little pie filled with everything you need to eat for the day. So... Their name comes from a peculiar habit that they have of knocking on mine walls. So in some descriptions, and, and this is this is definitely weird, uh, the Cornish interpretation of these beings came with a strong side of anti-Semitism because some believed that they were allegedly the souls of Jews who had crucified Jesus, which makes <laughs> zero sense to me and just really seems like a reach, like incredible what? reach. Like it's just... A, um, but in general, they were looked at as creatures in their own right, I think. Um, and sometimes the ghosts of dead miners. And both of those, they seem a lot, it seems a lot more logical. Um, yep. So the scenario, the typical scenario went like this. While at work underground, the miners would hear a sound of loud knocking. It could even sound like hammering. But it wouldn't be coming from any of the workers. And... The reason for the knocking was open to interpretation. So in some cases, the sounds seemed to foretell an impending cave-in, which is the disaster, is the, the thing you don't want if you're a miner. Um, so in these cases, there'd be knocking, and shortly after that, the mine walls would act, would collapse. And in other cases, it would be right before a miner was injured. So the knocking could be perceived as helpful, like if the men vacated in time and then a collapse happened, like in the story of the, the Shrieker in Germany. Or in some cases, some miners believe that they were pointing them to treasure. So if they followed the sounds, maybe they would stumble upon a seam of ore or something like that, and it would help them with their work. Um, some miners claimed that they were able to distinguish between different types of knocks. So some of them sounded like they were saying, dig here. Others were warning them away. But it was all very open to interpretation. But in the most creepy cases, the knocking seemed downright demonic. So not a warning, not even an attempt to mess with you, but almost like a taunt before a tragedy or a like a deliberate attempt to lure them to certain harm or even death. And, you know, later on, scientific explanation holds that the sounds simply come from moving fault lines, shifting timbers, things that would happen within the rock walls before a collapse happened. That's the rational explanation. Mm -hmm. But let's get onto the stories. Okay. So this first one comes from... Mamie R. Mine. So this is a legendary mine in Cripple Creek, Colorado, and it's also rumored to be haunted. And the first story took place in the late 1800s, and it says that a miner named Hank Bull was working when he began to hear what sounded like the plaintive voice of a young boy that was coming from a newly dug tunnel that hadn't been shored up yet. So... There was a tunnel there, but there were no safety precautions in place and they hadn't been working in it. So Hank's instinct was to follow the voice because this sounded like a distressed child who perhaps had wandered into the mine and gotten lost or maybe even trapped. And he told his fellow, min fellow miners about it and they all warned him not to go because it wasn't safe yet. It wasn't secured. But Hank couldn't resist, and so he followed the voice into the dark tunnel. Moments later, the rest of the crew heard him scream. So they rushed to the tunnel entrance, and they saw that the ceiling had collapsed, and Hank had been crushed and was now lying dead. So this kind of reminds me of the episode that we did about like the forest mimics. 
Mm. where there's like an attempt to lure you or mimic a voice of something that it isn't. Yeah. You know, and play on your sympathies. So nobody knew what had happened here, but after this incident, it was enough that it, it creeped people out to the point where some of the miners refused to work in that location anymore. But others went on to report more bizarre encounters in the location. They heard strange whispering in the dark tunnels or shapes that seemed to move in the dark. And then you'd look and they'd disappear. So another tragedy happened. And this story revolves around something called a windlass, uh, which I had to look it up. And it's basically a huge bucket attached to a mechanism that is used. You turn a crank to lift things out of the mine. So this windlass was used to haul miners and equipment and ore up from the mine or, or into it. So it was very large, very heavy, and it had a bell attached to it. So when it was loaded and ready to be brought to the surface, someone down below would ring the bell. They let people know, okay, bring the windlass up, and they would do it. Um, But strange things started to happen. And on several occasions, the bell would ring. The men would pull the bucket up, but it would be empty. So obviously, like, there's no wind underground. What's causing this? Why is it ringing? But it's almost like foreshadowing or a precursor because in November of 1894, the bucket fell and crushed the skull of a miner who was standing directly underneath it. But it was bizarre because the cause of the accident was mysterious. Both the rope and the knot securing it to the bucket were completely intact. So there was no reason why it would have just given way all of a sudden. It's not like anything broke free. You know, it's not like the rope was frayed. There wasn't any reason the workers could point to that that had caused this accident. And so they suspected Tommyknockers malevolent ones so at this point the paranormal phenomena seemed to ramp up and ghosts joined in the Tommyknocker reports so the spirit of Hank Bull who'd followed the boy's voice to his doom was seen walking around the deeper parts of the mine which just gives me the chills to think about it imagine these dark tunnels and even more horrifying the ghost of the miner who was crushed by this bucket would sometimes appear when the men lifted the bucket out of the depths of the mine, they'd see his crushed head appear first, oh emerging from the shaft, and then he would step out and then vanish into thin air. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So on Christmas Day of 1894, a, m- a month after the previous death, the miners were using the windlass to haul bucketfuls of water from the mine, and three men were operating it when suddenly it exploded into pieces and shrapnel went everywhere and its rope became tangled around one of the men's necks and as the bucket fell i mean this is gross and terrible but it decapitated him yikes so it was a very grisly accident following previous ones and that tragedy marked the end of the mine. And then in January, a month later, it closed for good because no one would work in it and they believed it to be plagued by malevolent Tommyknockers. Oh, whoa, okay. Yeah. Okay, so I just have a couple more from okay, Reddit because okay. Okay. I wanted to get some like uh, sure. some stories from contemporary people. So um, this person said... Um, the story is called Possible Tommy Knocker, posted by Scuttle Stars. I've posted on here before about Tommy Knockers. While they aren't part of my heritage, my hometown is ex- eccentrically Cornish, and it was a mining town. I've heard the lore and scientific explanation, but I do think a recent happenstance was quite curious. I was along the California coastline in November which if you do not know, there are huge cliffs that are worn away by the high tide there. So it's like beach, then cliff very abruptly to the point of severing any passageways to move forward while walking on the beach. 
It's not like other parts where it's all flat and smooth for miles inland. So me and my partner sit by one of these cliff walls to snack. When I hear this almost omnipotent knocking, it sounded almost like a knock from God in the movies or something because neither of us could figure out where it's coming from. Knocking was the only word we could come up with to describe what we heard. My childhood clicked upon repeating that word, we need to move. I quickly grabbed everything and we both started moving fast. My partner was very confused. And then we maybe got 50 feet away when rocks toppled from the cliff to exactly where we were were eating. I remember a local who was like, knockers knock to warn you. And I thought that was super weird because it could have landed five feet away from us. Wouldn't we still hear the knock? Wow. And then one more. Things that go bump in the the coal mine, which I thought was a great title. Some responses I made about the experiences of myself and coworkers got a lot more attention than I expected. This is a minor, by the way. Um, and their username is Ballistic Habit. After being repeatedly asked, I decided to make a thread with my stories. I spent nearly a decade underground. The work was hard and dangerous, but could be rewarding and very well compensated. Coal mining is a way of life here. Entire families have worked the mines. I myself have several family members who have retired or worked down there. Still, I got out. Not because of these experiences, but because I believe coal mining will end soon. Now, I'm no superstitious backwoods hillbilly who attributed every little thing as paranormal. I have a science and engineering background. Most things I have have reasonable explanations for the things we see. These stories of mine, or those that were told to me, are not the case. They have no explanation. The first time I heard of anything going bump in the dark was relayed by my co-worker. I was still a redhead at the time. For those who don't know, for the first six months to a year, depending on state law, a new miner must wear a red hard hat. I was working with a guy about my age who was a no-nonsense guy when it came to work. He was extremely competent as a coal miner. We were working with a bolting machine when I looked over at the rib, which is the wall, and clearly written on the rib support was the word ghost, followed by the time and date, which was a few weeks prior. Curious, I asked about the writing. He gave me a sheepish look and relayed the story to me. Quote, I was working down here off by myself, running the bolter. It was nearing the end of the shift, and I was keeping an eye for the relief crew to arrive on section. I just happened to look across the bolter, and I see a man standing there looking at me. I was just about to say something when I realized that this guy was certainly not on our crew. Then I realized his cap light was emitting no light and was, in fact, an old carbide lamp, not our battery-powered ones. My adrenaline spiked, and all I wanted to do was run away, but I was rooted to the spot, looking at him, looking at me. He was about five feet away, standing behind the bolting machine, so I just, just visible from the chest area up. Just as I was about to open my mouth to speak or scream, I'm not sure, he turned 90 degrees and began walking along the side of the bolter. What is even stranger is with every step he took, he would sink lower and lower into the ground until his head was below the edge of the bolting machine. Picture the stairway gag. I snapped out of it and ran around the other side of the machine to see no one there. He was gone seemingly sank into the earth with each step. In a daze, I walked to the track and saw that the relief man trip had not arrived. It was just our crew. I wrote the time and date on the support to help recall where and when I saw this. I returned to that spot many times, hoping to see him again. I never did. Wow. You know, I was just thinking, like, really, like, you know, whether it's a human being or otherwise, just like, anybody that's down there that's not accounted for that are that alone is is sort of terrifying and sort of creepy and do you know what i mean like right? ju- even just coming across a person that's not supposed to be down there like wait how how did you get down <laughs> right like m- these mines and these underground you know there's like it's it's a lot to get down in these places right 
Yeah, I mean this this last one sounds clearly supernatural. Right. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, even if it was like, you know, like, oh, Mm -hmm. what's you know, like this person or carrying this Mm -hmm. thing around, it's like, I don't know, just that idea of like anything being down there that's not accounted for is like terrifying in and of itself, right? Absolutely. Um. Cool. I I like the Tommy knockers. I feel like. What do you think? What do you think? Well, I mean, obviously, there's like a variety of stories here, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what what was interesting about the Tommy knockers to me was, you know, how much they paralleled the the Gremlins, right? And like this idea of, you know, when I think about like gnomes or something down there, right? Like these stories of people encountering gnomes and things like that, you think sort of like this, like elemental, right? Mm-hmm. These like elemental spirits, but but Gremlins in particular. And, and it sounds like Tommy Narcos make me think of like, and, and all the rituals around it, right? Like it's it's human beings working in these sort of extreme conditions, right? Uh, or extremely dangerous conditions, right? So you're you're on you're working on planes, right? This is all extremely dangerous, right? You're underground. You're all it's all extremely dangerous, and so you know it's almost like there, there's all this sort of psychic energy around it, right? Yeah, like, that's interesting. You know, and like, and, and, and stress and like just, you know, we've talked about the sort of theory that some poltergeist can come from just sort of like the stray energy of like, of like angsty teenagers, you know? Right. Like, yeah. But just this all, idea that all the like, hormones. yeah, but like, you know, the question of like, okay, if this phenomena exists, does it exist without human beings? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, if these people weren't down there under these, extreme circumstances and dangerous circumstances would this stuff be happening whether they're independent beings or not right like it's just a question it's just like an interesting thought right like maybe maybe not the muscle-bound lizard maybe not the muscle but they're they're definitely i think they're real they're They're definitely down there right now no Um, but but that's interesting you should bring that idea up because one of the things I came across, I didn't include this because it didn't really relate, was um, stories of, uh, there was a story of some miners who were trapped and they reported having near-death experiences, almost like a shared one, mm-hmm. right. where they saw into some kind of alternate dimension that felt very heavenly. And this is oh, right before their rescue. Right. But it was like a shared whatever huh. you want to call it, vision, hallucination, something, mm-hmm. but it, mm-hmm. it felt very otherworldly to them. So right, obviously right. you'd be in, under a lot of stress if you're trapped underground. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, but you know, to that point, it, it you know, maybe it's tapping into some kind of psychic energy or transporting people to other dimensions just by or virtue of, of that kind of yeah or even just like you know if you think about something like meditation which puts people like what is it doing Mm -hmm. it's kind of it's kind of enclosing you in a way you know you're kind of drawing into yourself you're kind of shutting out externals so just imagine being underground (laughs) like in a physical sense it's Uh sort of uh i just wonder if there's anything that kind of could lend itself to you know, having a paranormal like it, experience. It's a quieting down of uh, other stimulus, right? Right. Like of other, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you what do you think? What do you think is going on down there? Like, <laughs> well, I kind of. I mean, I wouldn't want to run across the the crazy thirteen uh, foot tall hairy leg spider. Uh huh. Spider creatures. Um, what about the lizards? You know, the lizards. You know, the ripped, I mean, the ripped lizards. The, I mean, the ripped lizards. <laughs> um, it just seems like there's so many stories. Uh huh. Something's going on. Something's something going, going on. on Something's down there. going on. I think there's a lot I, of stuff going on down there. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think it. Yeah, we. What makes us think that there couldn't be life of some form? Also. Yeah, in these hidden places. I totally. mean, there certainly are. It, it was unexpected, but just in the depths of the ocean and the deepest parts. You know, I mean, it was yeah. formerly believed that there couldn't be life there. That's right, and it's maybe teeny. there are ripped lizard people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they've got a it, weight room. You know, yeah. <laughs> right, right, just lived in a bunch of rocks all day long, mm-hmm. doing um, a lot of squats. Yeah, I mean, you know, down in the d- sort of like deep dark 
ocean, yes, they didn't think there was life there mm -hmm. um, because of sort of scarcity and the lack of light and all these other and pressure and all this stuff. And they found like kind of the wildest sea creatures down there, right? These crazy looking things. But then also just the like extreme conditions of the geothermal vents, right? It's like mm -hmm. super, super hot. And yet life's flourishing there. So every place that we're like, oh, things couldn't possibly exist there. They're like, oh yeah, definitely things exist. <laughs> right? Like not, and not even just exist, but flourish, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, why couldn't there be, you know, other types of beings that have learned how to, I mean, there are, we know there are, it's just like how deep down do they go and like, you know, how intelligent they are, how weird they are, whatever. Right. And, and, and are there energies, uh, you know, mm -hmm, that you can mm -hmm. tap into by sure. being surrounded by, you know, a lot of these rocks and quartz and, yeah, and right, crystals right. and minerals and all of that. I mean, right, right. That's interesting too. Yeah. Maybe. So, uh, any of you guys out there have any good uh, underground yeah, if any of you are miners, creatures? And, if you're miners. <laughs> we definitely want to hear from you. Or if you've been hanging out in mines and met some gnomes or ripped lizards or otherwise. Yeah. Or tommy knockers. That's such uh, yeah, a cool, we'll take it weird all. word, right? Like, I, know. I don't know. Like It's, it's kind of definitely in my mind because of Stephen King. Right, right. The right. Book, tommy knockers. But yeah, yeah just yeah. like tommy knockers. Like, yeah. Anyways. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. well, do you feel like we did it? I think we did it. I think we did right, it. Cool. We did we did paranormal miners. So Yeah. Uh thank you guys to everybody who's left ratings and reviews. Uh we really appreciate it. Please yeah, if you definitely. haven't done so, go to Apple Podcasts wherever you're listening. Please throw us five stars. Tell people why you like the show. It'll help the show grow and follow us on instagram and if you have any stories if you have any subjects you want us to cover you can shoot us a dm or you could also email us shadowlandpodcast at gmail.com and also we've got something really exciting happening and yep, seth's we wearing merch, it right now we've got merch, merch. <laughs> Com coming soon like we coming still have soon. to like get it going on the site but it will be coming soon so right. stickers watch out buttons for that. shirts yep and they're really awesome seth seth did some fantastic designs so yeah, we're looking forward to you guys being able to get some. So, yeah. Long time coming, right? <laughs> Long time coming. <laughs> so, soon. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we did it then. All right. Cool. All right. So, until next time. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Shadowland Podcast is produced by Seth Javlin and Christina Callard. Edited by Tim Kelly. Theme music by Tim Lincoln. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim.